the NATO summit in Madrid drew to a close last Thursday with far-reaching decisions to transform the security alliance. An economist headline writes, NATO holds its most important summit in decades fortifying its eastern borders. With the previously more neutral Finland and Sweden expressing interest in NATO membership, we are certainly witnessing the tides change. So let's review what came out of the NATO summit. For the discussion, we're joined by Professor Kim Byung-ju of the Hankook University of Foreign Studies. Uh, good morning, Professor Kim. Good morning. Uh, so let's pick up right where we left off. The NATO summit was the top world news last week. In fact, we covered it pretty extensively, but require a little bit of expert review. A week ago, we discussed a meeting as it was about to begin. Now let's look at some major updates as we look back. Right. The major key points, uh, takeaway key points, I guess, would be the following. As we discussed uh, last time, indeed, they did update their mission statement and the world took a note of it because this is the first mission statement update for NATO, this collective uh, security alliance for the first time in 12 years. Uh, so that is uh, is a major development that everyone is taking note of. And mm-hmm. of course, as we discussed, China was specified as a uh, uh, structural challenge, which mm-hmm. is also a very important and new development that we had anticipated. And that wide range of threats cyber, uh, AI, a different kind of internet, uh, online disinformation, mm-hmm. uh, and then also uh, threats on energy and food. All these were identified as, as uh, important ones, and these were all thought about and uh, had anticipated. Uh, but on top of it also, uh, m- more importantly, more important than these points is the NATO kind of strengthening their military uh, positioning mm-hmm. altogether, mm-hmm. and uh, what we are hearing is uh, before this summit, what NATO could do is they could mobilize forty thousand troops in fifteen days when there's a uh, you know threat uh, uh, emerging. Forty thousand within fifteen days. That was the capability, but they now have agreed to raise hundred thousand in ten days. So uh. more than twice as many troops in less than two-thirds of the time. So that's a major commitment mm-hmm. by the countries. And uh, on the side of the United States, the uh, U.S. has committed that they're going to set up the headquarter of its fifth army corps inside Poland. Mm-hmm. So as we know, Poland is a really kind of like front line mm-hmm. for NATO mm-hmm. uh, facing Russia. So mm-hmm. having headquarter of the fifth army corps United States uh, in Poland means a lot for those who are expecting a U.S. extended deterrence. And uh, many more Navy, uh, U.S. Navy destroyer ships in Spain, for instance, that also means a lot in terms of the importance of military and, uh, military and see what it means for uh, European uh, security. So uh, those were specific uh, steps taken. Mm. And uh, on Additional, if you will, uh, you know, important point that had been talked about even ever since Trump years was that Trump, as we may recall, has been really pushing the European countries to increase their military spending over 2% of uh, their respective GDP. And and, uh, this time, as you may remember, Germany, for instance, had really made it clear that they're going to go over 2%. Uh, just a four-hour interest to see what the the size of military spending per GDP is. Germany currently stands 
about two years ago, as of two years ago, it was a 1.4% of GDP. Mm. And then France was slightly over 2, 2.1%, mm. UK 2.2. And, you know, Donald Trump would have, maybe he has his reason to complain about it because the United States was spending close to 4%, so mm-hmm. twice as much in relative sense. Mm-hmm. And just for those uh, listeners who may wonder where Korea stands, Korea is spending close to 3%. So U.S. 4, mm-hmm. Korea 3, and the European major allies 2% or less, and Germany's case 1.4. So those are interesting things that we have learned uh, from uh, natives, uh, NATO summit this time. Uh, because, as you've highlighted, strengthening military uh, positioning is such a key focus of the recent NATO summit. Uh, I do wonder if Finland and Russia sharing a border comes into one of the questions asked when Finland and Sweden decided that they want to seek NATO membership. Uh, Post-Madrid meeting, were there any progress made in that front? Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, you know, as we heard, it was one of the major developments. I, I meant to mention it, but I guess I forgot to mention it at the end. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the the joining of Sweden and uh, Finland, that was major, major step. And what had happened was that before the summit, there was uncertainty whether this is going to uh, go through smoothly or not because of the Turkey's uh, resistance. Mm-hmm. Turkey um, uh, raising an issue about how uh, Finland and Sweden, especially Sweden, have been supporting mm. the Kurdish militants, mm. uh, you know, in terms of humanitarian reasons and so on. You know, in Islam world, there is a, this uh, unique position that Kurdish people uh, occupies. And, and of course, Tur- Turkey has been very much against Kurdish uh, movement, independence movement. And so uh, they didn't like the way Sweden has been accommodating the Kurdish uh, rebels. And so they were saying, unless, uh, you know, Sweden stops doing this support, they're not going to accept uh, Sweden's membership into NATO. But this time at the uh, Madrid, what was agreed that what was uh, agreed was uh, Sweden and Finland were, are going to now change their domestic law in order to cut down their support on Kurdish mm. uh, rebels. So mm. that's a major step, kind of give and take in return. At the last minute, uh, you know, Turkey agreed to uh, the the new membership, you know, that uh, Sweden and Finland's joining of NATO, and that's one of the reasons that that is was the key reason why President Yoon Suk Yeol's meeting mm-hmm. with uh, the chief of NATO was cancelled. Mm-hmm. His meeting with uh, Turkish president went too long, and but of course this was a kind of like life or death matter for NATO's, right, right. you know, making relevance this time. So right. it was kind of understandable, but Korean public got a little bit upset about it. But that was the reason. They, they had to work it out, and they, they did work it out. Mm. So that's the backdrop in which why that meeting was canceled. Uh, this seems to be a big turning point, Professor Kim, considering the two countries symbolize diplomacy of neutrality at large, that is Finland and Sweden. For more than 70 years, the two European nations uh, declined to join the NATO alliance. Uh, can you briefly explain for our listeners the history there, perhaps beginning with Sweden? Yeah, Sweden's case, uh, when we say neutrality for Sweden, we are talking about close to 200 years, two centuries uh, long neutrality. And the whole thing began, this is a little bit confusing when we talk about Sweden and Finland, but let's go with Sweden as you suggest first. Sweden's neutrality began at the beginning of uh, 19th century, right after Napoleonic Wars. And what happened was uh, uh, Sweden 
Finland was part of Sweden, and then Sweden lost to Russia uh, a war, and then they lost Finland. So Russia took away Finland away from Sweden, mm. and there was a big loss for Sweden uh, at the beginning of 19th century, 1808, 1809. And that was when Sweden decided, okay, we're not really fit, in, uh, fit to fight big uh, powers and so on, and we have lost this much. And so let's go with neutrality this time. So mm. they decided that two centuries ago, at the beginning of 19th century, and since then, uh, Sweden's neutrality began. And that was that remained in place World War One and then World War Two. Mm. Um, what we began to notice is uh, after this close to two century long neutrality, starting from 1995, uh, mm. when European Union was set up and, and Sweden began joining European Union, and then they even began slowly joining the European Union's uh, defense uh, cooperation. And so on. that was 2009. Mm. So that was about, what, 12, 13 years ago. Mm. And uh, since then, they were saying uh, Sweden's neutrality is, is going down. They're going to give it up soon. Mm. And so this time, by joining NATO, clearly Sweden has given up their two-century-old uh, neutrality position that was originally set up by losing uh, through losing Finland to Russia at a big war at the beginning of 19th century. This may be a big shift, but it has been slowly happening, as you've alluded to, Professor Kim, right? Uh, things did mm-hmm. really change after the collapse of the Soviet Union, because Sweden right. and Finland joined the EU, as you've said. Exactly. Uh, let's also take a look at Finland, on the other hand. It seems to represent a more passive form of adopting neutrality based on tradition rather than an international treaty. There's even right. a term for it, uh, Finlandization. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- right. What does that exactly connote? Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting uh, concept and terminology here, and uh, it refers to what uh, happened in Finland. Their neutrality, mm. as I mentioned, Finland was handed over as a Swede- Swedish territory, but uh, it was handed over to Russia at the beginning of 19th century. So what that means is uh, Finland was part of. Before beginning of 19th century, it was part of Sweden, and then it became part of Russia. And then when did Finland uh, gain their their uh, you know independence? It was right after the Russian Revolution, hmm. uh, 1917, 1918. So this was one century later, at the beginning of 20th century, hmm. Finland became an uh, independent country. But hmm. however, what happened was, as soon as they became one, in about 20 years, when Nazi Germany was fighting against the Soviet Union, they backed Nazi Germany. Mm. Finland did. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what happened mm-hmm. was uh, Soviet Union hit them hard back. Mm-hmm. And so they were beaten up uh, mm-hmm. in 1939. And when they were defeated by Soviet Union, they realized, okay, we don't have power to fight big countries. Mm-hmm. Again, similar kind of story. So mm-hmm. they decided we're going to go uh, uh, neutral. We're going to seek neutrality like Sweden. Mm. But the thing is, unlike Sweden, Finland became a very, very much subservient and and uh, kind of, a, uh, what do you call it, uh, kind of like a Soviet Union's, oh. uh, not exactly territory, but right. not only exactly satellite country, but we began to follow Soviet Union lines. Right, so right. what we noticed was uh, during the Cold War, Finnish media and so on, they were very much pro-Soviet. Mm. Uh, kind of mm. relatively anti-West and kind of like a, being part of a Soviet Union hem- hemisphere of influence and 
and uh, very nice and friendly towards Soviet Union, mm. and they remained under their control until the emergence of um, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev during mm. the 1980s, and they began to show independence. And then the Cold War ended, and the, uh, the rest of it is a history that we already know. So that was their, mm. their story. Finlandization is the tragedy of a small power. Uh. When they face a huge, powerful country right next to it, they have to keep quiet and follow the uh, strong country's uh, right. uh, direction, if you will. Right, so, right, right. It's it's the tragedy of a small country. I think that's best explained. Thank you very much, Professor Kim. Um, based on your expertise, what do you see for the future of neutrality to diplomacy? Because considering Finland and Sweden's decision to apply for NATO membership, I, I'm left wondering if it is no longer an option of our times. Right, exactly. Uh, I, I sort of agree with your point here. Uh, neutrality is an option when there are three options. One is going with country A or country B, second option, and the, con- and the third option, going neutral. Is there, is, do we have that third option in this time? Okay. A lot of people are wondering whether we probably do not have that third option at all because this time, unlike Cold War, this time, uh, the other side is a uh, authoritarian country without the democratic legitimacy backed by their own people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this, uh, when the President Yoon says it's, uh, we have to uh, preserve and uphold the value in international relations and in Korea's diplomacy going forward, uh, that's a very important point. Uh, if we want to keep neutrality under this landscape, that probably means is kind of stating that we don't care what the other side does to their own people, mm. to other countries, and even to ourselves. We'll just be on our knees mm. and just accept what the other country does, like a Finlandization. Right. That will be the neutrality form that we can see under this confrontation between free world on one side and authoritarian world. So unlike what many Korean uh, politicians are saying here these days in the criticism, and when criticizing this current government, I don't think they have a clear idea about what this this landscape this time is. So, so those p- people who are criticizing the current government's foreign policy, new foreign policy direction, they meet, they may need to study hard in terms of what this new landscape we face hmm. now time really is. It's not necessarily history repeating itself. We've never seen such a landscape before at this scale. I I do. Mm-hmm want to ask an important uh, question before we wrap up today's discussion. What are the implications for Korea? Because it seems to be noteworthy that the NATO summit for the first time had leaders of four Asia-Pacific countries, South Korea, Japan, Australia, and New Zealand participating. Right. Uh, you know, as message, we want some of Koreans uh, would like to see Korea keeping more of a balance right. and kind of like, uh, you know, standing uh, in between the big powers, like a previous government tried, uh, you know, towards the end of previous Moon government also realized that's not the case. And if you look into all the, you know, diplomacy documents and so on, uh, previous Moon government also was taking turn much closer to the United States. So uh, again, once again, it's a question of whether we really have a choice or not. Yeah. Uh, keeping balance, standing in between, taking the third position. And emerging consensus seems to be that we really don't. And mm-hmm. there is no third choice. It's choice or A or B. Mm-hmm. 
And so those politicians who are raising voice against the current government's uh, diplomacy direction need to think hard and show to the people that uh, these people in politics do understand the changing environment in the in the international world. Suddenly, the term Finlandization has a, a bigger place <laughs> in our discussion, too. But thank you right. very much for explaining so thoroughly, Professor Kim. We'll speak to you again next week. Thank you very much. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.